Okay, so I'm gonna be just straight up honest with you. Uh, it is like 10.45. I have a little deal I need to do here at the start, and then we still have an entire sermon to preach. And so I'm gonna try and go quick, but you guys know me, and so that might not happen. That being said, if we hit a certain time where you gotta go, then you gotta go, and I get it. We're gonna, we're gonna try and rein this in, but there's a lot that needs to be talked about today. It is very interesting to me how much and how often God has been reminding me over the last three months how, how incredible it is that we've been preaching through the Sermon on the Mount during this season in our country. Like, like during this time where, where we would say, right, and we've said it before, there's, there's probably more division across every possible line that there could be in our nation than ever before. Right? That, that at every possible turn, there's, there's a division amongst people. And then you look at, at this thing, this Sermon on the Mount, this, this opportunity that Jesus has to come before this people and preach this message and give us what we've kind of called the Constitution, right? The, the true law of the kingdom of God. And we've had to look, okay, what does that mean as I apply that? And the more I study this, the more we look into it, the more I am convicted that the church is supposed to be the answer to a lot of the brokenness here in our world. And we're not doing a real good job, Okay? Like, like we, we've sat somewhat on, on the sidelines, maybe we've, we, and I think we've sat on the sidelines and we've almost yelled from a distance in many ways, and, and I just don't think it's been all that helpful. And it re, obviously it really came to a head this week is, um, you know, that something happened on Tuesday, right? There was a, kind of a big day within our, the history of our, of our country. Now, regardless of, of where you line up, who you voted for, um, it was a big day. Like, I mean, it was just like, wow, like, did, did that just happen? No matter what side you're on, it, it was a shocker. Like, I mean, I'm getting texts literally all day long. Like, my phone is blown up over and over and over to say, are you watching this? Do you see what's going on? Is this going to happen? Oh, my gosh. Some people stoked and celebrating. Other people grieved and hurting. And, and I'm getting it all, and I'm like, man, how do I sift through this reality? And, and all it really showed me is that, man, as... As this thing began to go down, I just felt and saw the dividing lines between the people in our nation, within our churches, within our communities, just get wider and wider and wider. See, now, upon every single issue that I can think of, I, I feel like if, if you were on one side of this election, you're like, okay, well, this is going to get better now. Like, I, I was going for Trump, and so this is going to get better because my guy won, and then other people are thinking, well, I was going the other direction. I think it's going to get worse, and so you had people kind of moving down into greater hopelessness, despair, pain, and emotion, and then you had others getting up into greater joy and celebration because they had a different vision for what this future could look like, and so what I think was happening was this dividing line was just spreading and splitting. And so here's what happens when there is greater division and people are farther away from each other than ever before is you begin to yell. And yelling does no good. You begin to say, okay, well, you're farther away, so I need to go to deeper measures to scream at you in hopes that then you will hear me. And it hasn't worked ever before. This distance thing where I'm not actually going to be involved in your life. I'm just going to be way over here. I'll let you exist way over there, and I will just lob my stuff at you in hopes that then somehow that brings about change. It has never worked in the history of the world. I don't know why we expect for it to work now. Last week, we landed, and we preached through what I think is, is the clearest imperative in scripture. 
right, that we would treat others however we wish to be cared for, treated, thought about, engaged with, that we would give that courtesy to everyone else in our life. And it was not subjective. It was not exclusive. It wasn't, hey, you know what, if if they agree with you, then treat them as you'd like to be treated. There, there, There was no caveats to it. It was, hey, if you don't like being insulted, don't insult other people. If you don't like being told that you're a fool, then don't call other people fools. It's really quite simple, and yet it killed me because Tuesday came, and then Wednesday came, and it feels like in a 24-hour period, we in our churches just forgot about the golden rule. And we immediately chose sides, and we said from distances wider than ever, You're a fool, you're an idiot, you're this, you're that, you're the other. Now, like I said, uh, I've had the opportunity to see both sides of this thing for a while now. And so for some reason, all you guys just feel like I have a better answer at some of the stuff, and every time you'd say, well, what do you think? I'm like, I don't know, right? Like, it's just because nonstop, people from all sorts of sides, whether right, you were left or right, or kind of that, you know, like, it, libertarian doesn't mean middle, it's kind of like this third dimension, right? It's this other world, okay? And so whether or not you were left, right, or third world, or third world, third, <laughs> third dimension, right? Um, in all of that, I'm hearing it all from you, and it's processing through, and there's some things that you just have to know. First, um, most of the folks that voted for Trump, okay, um, are not arrogant, hateful, racist bigots or uneducated morons with no care for minority communities. They're just not. They're, they're just not. And the only reason I know that is because I talk to them all the time. Because I hear their hearts and I hear their conflict and I hear what they're having to deal with as they, as they wrestle with a candidate who, like all of us, is sinful. Now, let's not, we're not, listen, and let me be very clear when I said I'm not trying to compare or even speak to, to our, our future president's character right now. All I'm saying is, hey, listen, most of those people, they're not what you think and they're not what the media portrays. They're not what your, your favorite blog site writes about them. Now, hear me, on the other end, for those of you who voted the other direction, most, most, uh, most folks who voted Clinton or, or lean that direction politically, guess what? They're not ignorant, baby-killing morons or entitled sore losers and crybabies. They're not. And you don't know that because you don't talk to any of them. Instead, you come over here and then you read something or you see something that is crafted by a media who is primed for just creating division because it gets better ratings and they look over there and say, this is what's happening over there. Instead of you crossing over and doing the work of talking to another human being, you just decide to yell from a distance. Kind of like what I'm doing now. The model for us always and forever must be Jesus. Because as wide and as crazy as you think the chasm is between left and right on every single issue in our culture, it is not nearly as wide as the chasm between God and man in our sin. Like, it's not even close, right? God in his perfection, in his holiness, could have just looked over there and said, you know, I'll bark some stuff at you, but I'm gonna stay here but he doesn't do that. Jesus 
gets born into a manger. He gets messy, he gets dirty, and he goes and engages with the people who truly are foolish. And he says, I'm going to show you a better way. And I'm going to talk to you. And I'm going to give you dignity and value. And I'm not just going to, I'm not going to insult you. I'm going to engage with you. I'm going to listen to you. I'm going to try and understand where are you coming from. Jesus fully knowing their hearts. And yet he still loves all the way to the point of death. And so hear me, I don't care. This today is not about me telling you which side is right. And I have opinions on all this stuff and I would love to sit down and talk to you about them. But this isn't about if left or right is right, if Clinton or Trump, if whatever thing you think on any political issue is the right way to think about it or the wrong way to think about it. I'm saying there is a way that Christians are supposed to act and engage that shows the world a better way. And we're not doing it. What does it look like for us to not just be so uncreative that we just post statuses that tear down the other side? What does it look like for us to value all people while also, and hear me, we standing up for what is right? There is incredible pain and brokenness and hurt in the minority communities in our country. If you are not willing to figure out why, you are a fool. If you're just gonna just craft your view on on them, just, you know what, just get over it, right? Just move on, stop being a sore loser. That stuff drives me crazy. That is not the way we do this thing. There's people hurting and broken in our communities because we've broken them in our nation. And the church needs to be better. We need to be the people that the world looks to and says, okay, how how do we actually pursue healing? I'm going to tell you right now, it has to be by going to those people, like Jesus did. Not just crafting a sweet line that you're going to get a bunch of likes on and half of your friends will think is really great. It doesn't work that way. You can both identify and care for those who are being hurt and marginalized in our communities and still honor those who haven't quite landed there yet. And that's the way forward. Otherwise, listen, all you're doing, you're trying to make a point, you're not trying to make change. And what this country needs is change. What this culture needs is change. What this world needs is change. And it goes far beyond just trying to make someone feel bad about themselves enough to where they start hearing you. It doesn't work that way. And when has it ever worked in convincing you of anything when someone has just teared you down enough? It doesn't work that way. And so I, I, this is just kind of, I had to do it, an early here rant. I want to share a quick, quick few verses, and I promise we will get into the text today. Romans 12, 15 says, rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. It's that simple. There's no caveats to that. You need to weep with those who weep. You need to rejoice with those who rejoice. There are millions of people weeping in our country. And I've been getting stories all week long people here in our church who are experiencing harassment, 
who are experiencing blatant things of racism, high school students being told, hey, you need to go back to Mexico. Friends I know, people in our church, black community getting not the N-word, right, written on stuff in their driveway, being called names, Muslims in our country at a gas station, having their hijabs torn off, being told you're not welcome here, on and on and on, and yet we're this great country, right? We're this fantastic nation that welcomes all and liberty and justice for all. That is such crap when you see these constant things. Now, let me be very clear, though. It's not just one-sided, guys. Don't think that it is. It's not getting covered as much, but there are white Trump supporters who are getting jumped in the streets as well and getting beat up by, by gangs of people of all colors, okay? It, it, this is not just black-white. It's not just brown-white. I mean, of all colors, we got people mocking, harassing, beating each other in our streets right now. And the church has the answer. But it has to start with where are our hearts at? And if you cannot weep with those who weep and rejoice with those who rejoice, man, I fear there's no, we're never gonna put hands and feet to this thing outside these doors. Because we're just gonna be thinking about ourselves. Okay. Next one. 2 Timothy 2.24, the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to the knowledge of the truth. This is the way we live, right? We, we are convicted. We, 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 listen, protest, go against, vote, do all this, but do it with gentleness, with kindness, with meekness, with humility, engaging because you want change and not to just prove your point. Matthew 7, 12, whatever you wish others would do to you, do also then the golden rule. Let us not give that up just because life didn't go the way we want to, church. Either side of this. Now, again, here, for those of you who voted Trump and are like, this is a really great time, he's gonna return, whatever. Okay, I'm not even making a judgment whether or not that's true or not. What I'm saying is, how would you feel if you didn't win on Tuesday? And what would you want said to you? Now you need to say that to other people. Constantly needs to go both ways in this. I want to share one quote. This is from a lady named Michelle Alexander. She is a former law professor at Ohio State University. She wrote a book uh, called The New Jim Crow. And if you haven't read it, I implore you to read it, okay? Um, it just documents the significant realities of the brokenness of our criminal justice system, the oppression of the black community, minority communities in general. And it's, it, it's a must read to understand the cultural complexities of the day. But here's why I bring her up right now. Recently, she stepped down from her position at Ohio State University Law, and I wanna read you her statement why. She said, I am walking away from the law. I've resigned my position as a law professor at OSU and have decided to teach and study at a seminary. Why? There is no easy answer to this question. There are times I worry that I have completely lost my mind. Who am I to teach or study at a seminary? I wasn't raised in a church and I have generally found more questions than answers in my own religious or spiritual pursuits, but I also, I also know there's something much greater at stake in justice work than we often acknowledge. 
Solving the crises we face isn't simply a matter of having the right facts, graphs, policy analyses, or funding, and I no longer believe we can quote-unquote win justice simply by filing lawsuits, flexing our political muscles, or boosting voter turnout. Yes, we absolutely must do that work, but none of it, not even working for some form of political revolution, will ever be enough on its own. Without a moral or spiritual awakening, we will remain forever trapped in political games fueled by fear, greed, and the hunger for power. And she goes on, and man, this woman is brilliant, right? And, and she's, not, she's not a believer, right? So she's, she's one outside of the church. And she's been doing incredible work pursuing justice amongst, uh, justice for minority communities, right? And she spent so much time in it that she's kind of reached her end and said, man, I've been doing this for years and we haven't really moved the ball down the field very much. And she says, the only true transformation that we could ever seek that's going to happen in this country has to be at the heart level. There has to be something that happens in here if we ever long to seek healing. Now, church, hear me. There is only one name by which people can be saved. There is only by one Lord that people's hearts can be renewed. There is only one place that people can come and we can see a culture transformed from the inside out and it is only in Jesus. And so I say it one more time, church, you possess the answer to the brokenness of our world. You cannot stand on the sidelines. You have to engage, and engagement means far more than just what you write down. Engagement is way more than just what you happen to feel. We need to be who God has called us to be. Or truly, yeah, this nation is going to tear itself apart. I'm going to pray. Join me, and then um, we're gonna <laughs> we're gonna get into the text. <laughs> Heavenly Father, I thank you. God, I just pray your scripture over us now. God, we reminded today that blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. We're reminded that blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. We're reminded that blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. We're reminded blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. We're reminded that blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. We're reminded that blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. God, we're reminded this morning that blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. God, we're reminded that blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. God, will we be your kingdom people to a world that is desperately broken? Will we be willing to suffer alongside our brothers and sisters who are suffering? To weep with those who are weeping? God, to be part of the answer, to bridge communities, to care for those regardless of what political affiliation they might have, what color of their skin they might have, what ethnicity they might have, what gender they might have. God, that we would be a people who see Jesus and your movement towards us, and we would go and move towards this world. God, we cannot do it without your spirit in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Whew. We've got, I don't know, like 10 verses, okay? 
um, they are tied into this main idea of what does it mean for us to just beat the church well. So Jesus gets to the end of the Sermon on the Mount here, and he's gonna just take some time and say, hey, I've taught you all this stuff, this is the way you're supposed to live your lives, um, but here's a couple warning signs that you better pay attention to. Right? Like Here's a couple things that are coming down the pipe that if you want to do this well, you need to pay attention. Right? Like if you want to actually live this out, hey, eyes open, ears open, you need to begin to ask these questions and see, well, where are we in the midst of this? And I don't think there's a greater thing for the church to be doing today than to question ourselves, what is our position? How are we engaging? Are we actually fruitful, et cetera, et cetera? And so I think this text will help us out quite a bit. So verse 15, beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. And so he says, all right, listen, I've taught you all this stuff. I've given you good information, but guess what? There are those who will come into your midst and will confuse things, and they'll do it on purpose. Right? There's people, there's teachers. <coughs> Excuse me. There's teachers, there's prophets that will come in, and they are going to teach you stuff and have you apply stuff that is contrary to what I've given you, and I'm going to be honest. Now, if I look at contemporary cultural American Christianity, it seems to be led by a lot of voices that don't communicate a lot of the self-denying, pouring-out-your-life type of love that, the God, that we get here in the Sermon on the Mount. And so I think if we look around, we're like, man, I, that, that seems contrary to everything we've been saying for 10 weeks now. What's going on? Well, this shouldn't surprise us. This happens. Jesus, listen, beware. There's going to be people who come, and they're going to look like sheep, but they're actually wolves. They will tear down the work that we're trying to do. And so we need to be able to discern those voices, and, and here's the thing. How will we do that? Second Peter 2.1 says, But false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you, who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. So, so here, first kind of disclaimer, how can we tell, is when they be, begin to leave behind the Jesus of Scripture. Right? So, okay, well, what do these guys really look like when they begin to leave behind who Jesus himself is and what he says and embodies in the Bible? Then we begin to say, hey, man, wait a minute. That seems pretty contrary to what I know about the life of Christ. And so we begin to, again, ask these questions of those in our life. Who are we listening to is a great question for the church this morning. When you go home, as you read articles and you read blogs and read these things, and I know we keep hammering on them because I just hate that we only usually read one side of it. Who are you listening to? Who's teaching you? Who's showing you where and how you should think about the tough situations of our day? Hopefully it's good voices, but this will help us kind of decide how good? Verse 16, you ask, how can we tell? This will tell you. It says, you will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, you will recognize them by their fruits. What a fantastic analogy. I get it. It's easy, right? So you just have to explain this one again to the disciples. Okay, so here's the deal. Like, do you get uh, a fig from a thistle? No, right? No, good. You guys are on it. Okay, so figs don't come from thistles, right? That identity doesn't work, right? So he's just saying, like, okay, so um, the big question that I often see that comes out of this, people say, well, judge them by their fruit. And I want to clarify something because I think the text clarifies for us that it's not about whether or not you have fruit. It's the state of that fruit. 
Everybody produces fruit of some sort, right? Like you sow into the world something. Like you leave behind something. As you walk and you just live your life, there is a trail of fruit behind you and it's either good fruit or it's bad fruit. It's, was that a weird, was that, was that strange? I'm sorry. All right. Should have, should have thought about that. You leave behind fruit like this, okay? <laughs> the question is, is what type of fruit is it? You see, that's what he's doing here. He's saying, like, if you look at the fruit that you leave behind, if you look at the fruit that you're sowing into the communities that you're in, the people in your life, the world that we're part of, is it healthy fruit or is it unhealthy fruit? Is it good fruit or is it bad fruit? And so that becomes a question, well, then how do we figure that out? What does good fruit look like? What does bad fruit look like? Sometimes it's not nearly as complex as we would think, okay? I was uh, one time in Bolivia, and uh, we, we got a, the opportunity to go and pick grapes for, uh, for this vineyard that was down there, right? Um, and they have you kind of go in, and here's the amazing thing is, right, a lot of these grapes just looked prime, right? You're like, dang, they're just perfect shape. They're firm. They look really good. And then you'd bite into them, and then from the inside out, they had rotted out because the, the tree, the vine itself had been unhealthy and so had been infected with these things. And so um, that's, that's obviously, you know, we can get that, that analogy. Now, as you look upon how do we look at each other's life and say, well, how do I know underneath it all, right? So even if on the exterior everything seems put together, it looks nice, it shows up at church frequently, it goes to Bible study, it can say the right things, how do we judge what's actually happening inside the heart of, a, of each other? And that's a very difficult thing, and truly at the end of the day, the only person that can do that is Jesus. And so don't presume to be that guy, right? We're not Christ, I can't judge where every one of you are at, but there are some signs, there are some signs that we have to look at, and so let's, let's do that. Verse 21, not everyone who says to me, uh, nope, that's not right, where are we at? Yes, we are, that is right, okay, here we go. Verse 21, I'm trying to move fast. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Okay, so, so, so for right there, right? So how, how, do, how do we know? How do, how do we know their life? How do, how do we know if, it, if it's good fruit or, or if it's bad fruit? And, and how do we navigate this thing? Well, okay, um, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, so it's not just this, this sheer uh, verbal exclamation, this mental ascent moment, but it is he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. So, so certainly there's this engagement. Well, one, you have to know what God has said to us. Read your Bibles, right? It's right there. How do we live? How do we engage? We just saw the entire, right, the entire constitution of the kingdom of God throughout the Sermon on the Mount. So do that, right? That's the will of the Father. So live in that. So you can begin to say, all right, so this calls us to consider others more important than, our, than ourselves. Do you do that? This tells us, right, that whatever we would like done to us, that that's the way we should treat people. Do you do that? This tells us, right, that, man, if you already look in anger upon a brother, you've already committed murder. It says that if you've already lusted for your sister or brother, you've already committed adultery. Like, these are, there are things that are in there to say, like, okay, is your life marked by the opposite of what God says or what God says? And if it's more this in the midst of repentance, in the midst of our brokenness, then I think you're good. But if nonstop, what you seem to be sowing is the exact opposite of the will of God and everything he's told us, then I don't know. We have to ask the question. We have to be willing to engage. 
figure out exactly what Christ is saying. Now, I think there's a couple pitfalls to this, right? See, I think what we do in the church uh, often is that we mistake cleanliness for fruitfulness, right? So, so, so again, if you kind of look good, you're more put together, right? That you you kind of have your life dialed in. There's not a lot of problems. You're easier to talk to, engage with. Then, oh yeah, then you know what? Like, I, you're, you must be fruitful. You must be really like one of us, right? Which is just kind of crazy, right? Like when we say it out loud, doesn't that seem a bit wild? In comparison to what you read about Jesus' journey throughout his life, I mean, it seemed to be that a lot of the people he was kind of bringing into the fold were not kind of like your, your really like tight-knit, looking good, you know, top-button, Dane-shirting uh, type of people, right? They're kind of messy. Okay. I think on the, the opposite correlate to that is I think we also fall into the pitfall of saying messiness uh, is unfruitful. And I see these judgments here in the church all the time where, you know, you're just not quite as put together and so we're not going to ask you to, to do as much. I, I, I'm always more surprised when, when a messy brother or a messy sister seems to have a lot of fruit in their life. It seems very silly. We need to beware of these pitfalls of our culture because that's all they are. Because that's, that's how the world is going to judge people. It's going, what, 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 do you look put together? You go into an interview, if you can just kind of say the right things and you can look the right way, you'll probably get the job. But if, if you come in and you're messy, but even though you would do that job a thousand times better than the other guy, guess who's going to get the job? Okay. We, and, and honestly, let's, let's be honest. Man, at the heart level, is that not at the base foundational level how many problems we have with injustice and racism and sexism and all that in our culture is by we looked at women for a long time and said, you know what, you probably can't do things as well as us and so we're gonna subject you that direction. That is foolishness. We've done that to the black community and said, listen, you look this way and so that makes you this and so you can't have what we have. We've done that to the, t- on and on and on. Is this not the heart level it's a tremendous mess. And so what we must do is, is look beyond that. What's, what is happening inside, what is internal, as Christ does. Pray daily, hear me, pray daily that Jesus would give you his heart and his mind and his eyes and his ears that you would be able to hear, see, know, and feel people as they actually are, not what you perceive because your perception is oftentimes messed up. So is mine. Okay. So he continues, verse 22. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, talking about the future here, right? Did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? Now here's what's interesting. Now we know, okay, we have to test our lives a little bit. We have to triage. We have to question, say, man, does my, does my life line up with, with scripture, right? And, and okay, so then he, Jesus kind of addresses that. Because I think what we do is we fall into the tendency then is to say, well, great, if it is then just depend on me, I'm gonna work really hard because that's the type of people we've become. I'm gonna work really hard and earn Jesus' approval. I'll look really good. I'll do all the right things. That gets me in, right? And he says no in verse 23. And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Man, that is heavy. Put yourselves in the shoes of these, of these people. Jesus, hey, Lord, Lord, right? So they're exclaiming with their mouths. So people would hear, okay, well, they must think 
they must think he's Lord, right? That's, that's the only thing you can assume when someone says, Lord, Lord. Okay, Lord, Lord, look at all this stuff I've done in your name. I've cast out demons, there's miracles, there's signs and wonders. Are we tight? And he says, depart from me, I never knew you, you workers of lawlessness. Dang. Like, I honestly think, as I was thinking about this text and trying to put this text into practice, I was just like, man, I don't know if my resume would stack up against that guy, right? Like, I I don't know about you, I have yet to cast out a demon. Now, that should probably happen sometime in my life. That stuff's real, but hear me, I haven't done it. I have not seen a lot of miracles in my life. And you got this guy saying, listen, I've done all of that, and I call you Lord, but that's not enough. He says, I never knew you. Um, for the sake of being unintentionally political one more time. I'll tell you about the first time, well, the first time, the only time I met, uh, I met George W. Bush. So I knew about George W. Bush, right? Hey, do you know George W. Bush? Yeah, I know who he is, okay? So one day, um, uh, we're doing this summer project thing, and he just happened to be there, I don't know, doing something or, or whatever. And so uh, a buddy of mine who was also on the summer project, his dad leads a Bible study for congressional members, and a lot of times during Bush's can- or, uh, administration, he would be part of that Bible study, right? A lot of you guys are in the room like, yeah, Bush. Um, and so anyway, we, we talked to him. I don't know why I did that. Okay. <laughs> I just know that was the way my heart was. I was like, yeah, okay, so I got to meet him. And, and here's the thing, right? So Bush does, didn't know me. President Bush had no idea who I was. Now, I, knew, I certainly knew who he was. I knew his policies. Uh, I knew the stuff that he had enacted, the stuff he cared about, at least verbally, the stuff he had said out loud in speeches during his, uh, his debates, during his platforms, all that kind of stuff. I mean, I knew him in that sense. He had no idea who I was. So I wouldn't walk up and be like, Georgie, what up, man? It's me, Vince. We're tight, right? He'd be like, dude, I, who are you? So when I went up to him instead, I introduced myself. I said, hey, my name's Vince. This is what we do. Da, da, da. And we've been texting ever since. You know, <laughs> just kidding. It would be foolishness for me to assume that just because I know about this guy that he knows me. There's such a crazy idea here because what we do know about Jesus is that in Colossians 1 we find out, in John 1, right, we find out that everything was made through him and for him and by him. That Jesus is the sovereign Lord of the universe. Right? He's the second part of the Trinity, the Holy Trinity. He's God in the flesh that he made you, he made me, he formed you and I together in our mother's wombs. He knew your name, he knew your height, he knew your everything before you were even born. And so he, he Jesus, I mean, it's an interesting for him to say, like, I never knew, no, no, you do know these people. You made these people. Like, you, these people that come to Jesus, they were formed by Jesus. And he says, depart from me, I never knew you. Wow, this is crazy. So what is he trying to communicate? What, what is he trying to say? Like, hey, you don't, you don't really know me. I don't really know you. How, do, how then do we engage with this issue? How then do we know Jesus? 
Now, I asked this question on Facebook. Some of you responded even, and I got a bunch of private messages. People sent me emails. I said, what? What does it mean for you to know Jesus? And I was really actually excited. I had a ton of friends from back in high school who aren't Christians that answered that question too, you know, and they used some choice words, you know. Um, but as I heard from you guys, here, here's what was very obvious, is it's different for a lot of you, right? That your relationship with Jesus is not identical to the relationship with Jesus for the person next to you. So, so hear me, I cannot presume what it means for you to completely know Jesus. I, I, I can't explain to you the nuances of your relationship with him. But I do pray you don't overthink this, right? Like if you're sitting next to someone today, more than likely, unless it's just kind of a random, you're sitting next, you know that person. They know you, you have relationship. What they say, you respond, you engage with, you talk daily, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And so I just wonder, man, is it that difficult? Do you know Jesus? Like, do you talk to Jesus? Do you pray? Do you learn about him? Do you do that which he tells you to do and on down the line? Galatians 5.22 says, The fruit of the Spirit of God is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, and against such things there could be no law. Now, is your life marked by those things? I think when the Bible tells us that when we are his, when we're known by him, when we, are, when we truly see him and view him as Lord, when his spirit comes and indwells us, I think those type of postures are what should generally mark our life. Do they? Or at least are you striving for that reality? Love, joy, peace, gentleness, patience, self-control. Is this, is this when you're like, yeah, that's, that's kind of how I roll. All right, that's a good sign. Do you talk to them daily? Like, do you go, I mean, again, and I've said this before, if you're married or you have a close friend and you never talk to that person ever, you're not that guy's friend or that girl's friend. You might think you are, you're not. You got a lot of those Andy and he's like, I don't barely talk to Josh. Um, do you talk to this guy you say you follow? Okay. Again, for time's sake, man, I wish we could just go through all of John 15 right now where it tells us to abide in Christ. And I'm just going to implore you as an application for today to go and read John 15 every day this week and just say, man, is that me? Please, read John 15 every day this week and say, is that me? Am I abiding in Christ? Right? Are our lives going together? Are we engaged? Do I know Jesus? So at the end of the day, and I should wrap this up, at the end of the day, I am, I am not here to tell us that your life has to look exactly a certain way or you need to do exactly these certain things. I'm telling you, you need to know Jesus. And a couple of my fears in the midst of this is that there's many potentially throughout the church across the world that think they do, but they don't. And I don't know that. But I don't think Jesus would say it if it wasn't a fear or concern of his either. Like I think, why bring it up, Jesus, if this wasn't something that we needed to be aware of and that the church needed to be clear to preach the gospel about? Do you know Christ this morning? Like, do, do you know him? Do you abide in him? Do you love him? Like, truly, do you listen to him? Do you live the way 
he would have you live? Do you do the will of the Father? Do you have the heart that he, that he has? And I'll tell you this, my other fear is that, man, when I talk to a lot of people outside the church, I feel like they say almost the same thing to us. Depart from me, I, know, I don't know you. Which is, which is saddening that we're trying to engage with a community we don't even know and don't know us. Because instead, we've, we've stayed home. We, we've stayed in our groups. We've done our thing. We've, we've closed off our ears. We only have one opinion. We're not willing to listen, to engage. And I worry that the world just looks at the church and say, I don't know you. Why would I listen to you? What does it mean for the world to know the church the right way? You're part of that if you're here and you're a Christian. Okay. So I want, to, I want us to be known by Jesus. I want to know Christ. But man, but man I, want this, I want the world to know. And, and that, like, initiatives like AZ-127, the foster care, man, one of the biggest and most incredible benefits is, is the city is like, they're starting to know, hey, the church, the church cares about this stuff? That's amazing. The gospel cares about this? The gospel has something to say about brokenness and pain and poverty in our, in our world? Yeah, all day long. Because we are crafted with a deep theological conviction that beyond anything the U.S. Constitution says, Jesus said it first in Genesis 1, right? That all men and women were created in the image of God. Because that is true, then we live a certain way. We value those around us. And I'll tell you what, and until we start doing that, like I just, I have to keep asking how many of us in the church in this world truly know Christ? And I thought, man, it needs to be more. Because that means things. It means we treat people a certain way. It means we engage in difficult topics. And it means every single day we rely on him, okay? My last, uh, my last thing, and again, I'm sorry that, that we've been here for a while. If you're here and, and you are just visiting and you are kind of that non-Christian, I, I want you to... I just want to be as explicit as possible to let you know that Jesus loves you more than, than I could. I mean, I could speak for another hour and it wouldn't even come close. Like, like that, he loves you so incredibly much and it is so much more real than I ever thought it could be. I grew up outside the church for 18 years of my life. It didn't make sense, didn't agree with it, thought they were foolish. And then I got to know Jesus. And I realized it's far more than just the dogma and the religion. It's, far, it, it's, it's Jesus. He's... He's just done too much. He's too close now. I can't get away. So Revelation 3.20 says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. And I mean, I'm just telling you, where, wherever you're at this morning, Jesus just wants to dine with you, be closer to you, engage with you, show you his love, his goodness, his grace, his gospel, what he's done on your behalf. And he wants out of that dinner for you guys to strategize. But what does it mean to go and live like him well? So if you're here and, and you're not a Christian, I just want you to know, man, he's knocking and he's been knocking and he's gonna keep knocking, so please open that door, all right? Let's pray. Lord, I pray that we open uh, the door because again, I think Jesus, you're the only answer in this world for uh, for truly the t- trying times that we have. God, but that does not mean that we just sit back. Yes, Lord, you are in control. 
but part of that means that you've equipped an entire group of people, millions of people across the world that are supposed to live like you, act like you, think like you, feel like you, and engage like you. And so Lord, I pray as you have come down into this world, into our mess, and have been with us, that God, you would win our lives and our souls and our hearts, that God, we would go and do the same thing. God, that we would not just kind of exist on the outsides and yell at each other, but God, rather we'd engage. We'd be part of the solution, part of your world, part of what it means for you to flex your sovereignty and control and goodness over all of creation. God, I pray that we would know you deeper, more profound, and God, I don't know what that looks like for everyone in this room because Lord, you are a global God who interacts with all groups of people differently, and that Lord, you know intimately the intricacies of our heart, and so Lord, I pray that you, Holy Spirit, would do the work of transforming us, of knowing us, of shaping us, of tearing down the walls of sin and brokenness and pain, and Lord, that you would constantly remind us that regardless of how difficult this world may be, there is never a hope lost where there is a savior risen. And so Lord, we celebrate you, we worship you, we glorify you, and ask that you would be present in this place, that there would be joy in this place, because Lord, we know you are on the move. God, you've called us to be part of that. Let, we, let us not sit back, shrink back. You have given us not a, uh, a spirit of timidity, but of power, love, and self-discipline. We be those people this morning as we worship you. In Jesus' name, amen.